Welcome to The Checkup, the Colorado Health Institute's podcast about health and health policy in Colorado. I'm your host, Jackie Zubricki. Last year, CHI did a research project focused on early childhood mental health in Colorado. My colleagues looked at risks and different resources focused on early childhood mental health around the state. That led me to wonder, what do we actually know about mental health in early childhood? So I decided to talk to Jordana Ash, the state's director of early childhood mental health. We spoke in December about what we know about early childhood and brain development, about expulsions and suspensions in preschool and how that connects to early childhood mental health, and about what she wishes policymakers and healthcare providers understood about early childhood. So I think some people might find it surprising that we're even talking about the mental health of very young children. So early childhood is zero, one, two, three, four, five. So very, very small kids. Why is it important that we're talking about the mental health of, of the youngest people? Yes, yes. And even we can think about this from birth on. Um, so it's critically important to do whatever we can to get children off to a great start so that they can thrive and reach their potential. That's what everybody wants. Parents want that. Teachers want that. And the future of our communities and society really needs that. So we can think of early childhood mental health as building a house. You want to make sure that the foundation is set before you start building walls or putting in electricity or plumbing. The stronger the foundation, the more likely the house will be sturdy and able to withstand storms or earthquakes, let's say, to be continuing with that metaphor. It's not that you can't fix something later if something's off kilter or you have to fix a window. You certainly can, but it's more expensive, it takes more time, and it might not be as effective as it is to just build that foundation in the best way possible from the very beginning. So the mental health and well-being of all of our children can be promoted and helped along, and it's really through relationships between children and their caregivers, those people who love them that the support takes place. Yeah. A, a young child might not be able to come in and tell you, hey, I'm having a mental health issue. So it's their caregiver or their parent who's really noticing that something's going on. Absolutely. We have a saying in infant and early childhood mental health that there's no such thing as a baby. And what we mean by that is that there's always a baby and someone else. So you wouldn't have a very young child come to a therapy office or counseling office, for example, but that child is going to be brought by somebody mm -hmm. who cares about him or her. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what do mental health issues or challenges look like for very young children? Like, What, what are you hearing about? What, what, what does this look like? It's a very good question because a lot of times when people think about mental health, where our minds go to is really mental illness, mm. the absence of mental health. And mm -hmm. we want to shift that discussion or shift that thinking to mental health and well-being. When we think about um, problems, though, is that these difficulties can show up in terms of relationships, behavior, or development. And um, we think about a young child's unfolding abilities. So it's their unfolding ability. And what I mean by unfolding is that you have to think about how old that child is and what you would expect from a typically developing child. But it's their ability to 
first understand and then express their emotions in an appropriate way. Mm -hmm. It's their ability to form relationships with caregivers and eventually with peers, with other children their own age. It's their ability to self-soothe and we call that self-regulation at times. Sure. So you see very young children sometimes sucking their thumb, having a pacifier, rubbing a blanket. All of those are behaviors of a child trying to self-soothe. And self-soothing is very important hmm. um, for very young children, but also adults. You know, we need to be able to remain calm under stress or periods of dysregulation. And then finally, it's the child's ability to be curious about their environment and to learn. So to be able to explore, to be able to think about the um, world around them. Mm -hmm. And all of those elements together are what make up mental health. Yeah. Um, so a lot of different components. Absolutely. When you talk about self-soothing, this just makes me think of this um, idea of self-care that we hear about mm -hmm. in the news a lot. Mm -hmm. Adults trying to make sure that they are taking care of themselves. Yep. So when um, you go to the root of that, what you're looking at is regulation. How can I bring my mind and body back to a calm state so that I can take care of business? Yeah. Um, so that's a really broad set of things that you're looking at in young kids. Um, and so this kind of does focus on that challenge part more than the well-being. But like w when you are seeing issues for really young kids, what does working with that or treating that look like? When we have um, or when we hear about concerns, I should say, it comes from the adults and children's lives. So mm -hmm. they are, um, might be a teacher, for example, in a child care center that tells us, I can't seem to, the person tells us, I can't seem to engage this child mm. in any typical activities for a two-year-old. You know, I'm a two-year-old teacher, I have lots of two-year-olds, and I know what two-year-olds um, are interested in, and I have all of these materials, and this child just doesn't seem to engage with peers, um, uh, look me in the eye, yeah. um, enjoy the materials. We really want to see joy mm -hmm. and um, energy. So that might be a concern that's brought to someone's attention. Or a parent might say, my three-year-old has become aggressive at home and preschool, and everything that I've tried has worked. It's very different behavior. Mm -hmm. um, I don't understand it. Um, and then through discussion, um, someone might learn that there's been a big change in this family's um, uh, makeup. Maybe a parent has been deployed for military service. Maybe a beloved grandmother died. And so the parent might not be putting those two things together, but in talking with a trusted provider like a medical provider or an early childhood mental health consultant, um, those adults might begin to sort through um, what's going on for that child and family and begin to think together about um, how to address it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really struck by how much of like a, it's not just the kid alone. This Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we have this State Office of Early Childhood Mental Health. Um, is that because this is a, a challenge that's becoming more common or are we just paying more attention to this now? There's really a growing recognition of the importance of this time period, this early time period in a young child's development. So to answer your question directly, um, I think yes and. I think there's a growing recognition. There's more information. Parents are hearing more about brain development. Mm. Um, 
And it may be that there are growing stressors on young children. And those experience, those difficult experiences in a young child's life, we sometimes refer to them as adverse childhood experiences, Mm -hmm. can have lost, excuse me, lasting effects on a young child's um, mental health and well-being and their physical health and well-being if there is not an experience that that child has of the buffering relationship of a caring adult. Mm -hmm. That's what's really key to handling stress in young in early childhood is having caring, stable, emotionally well-regulated adults for that child to rely on. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about this brain science. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that something you would want to go into a little bit more? Like what do we know about, about kind of the, I don't know, what's happening in the brains of these young kids? It's fascinating. Yeah. It's really incredible what we now know through technology. What I think um, caregivers have always known mm. about young children, mm-hmm. but now we have a way to look into their developing brains and to see the the way that um, how many uh, neurons are being developed every second and how experience, this is the key point, experience shapes the developing brain. Mm. And so it's the kind of experiences that very young children have that set up those patterns. And those are going to be the the architecture of the brain um, as we go, as they grow and as they go on in their lives. And so if those brains are well protected and um, have adults around that young child to help them have their needs met in what we call a contingent way. So a child signals that they need a bottle or they um, show that they're hungry and then those needs are met. Those are the patterns that are being set down. Conversely, if that child is exposed to extreme stress and does not have any buffering from a caring adult to help that child, really, they're, them settle down, their brain um, get back to equilibrium, then those stress responses are going to be set down as the pattern in the young child's developing brain. And so really it's our window into what's happening. And we know about both the plasticity, so the opportunity of early childhood Mm -hmm. to lay down that strong foundation and the vulnerability of that developing brain if there are difficulties in that child's relationships or experiences. I have just one more question sure, on that absolutely. set of because it's so fascinating. It sounds, you know, with this emphasis on experience, it makes me think of these age-old nature versus nurture questions that we all have and mm-hmm. we think about mental health. Mm-hmm. It sounds like what you're saying is like a lot of a lot of what's happening is contextual or a lot of it is affected by experience. Um, is there a place where you feel like there's, there's like a um, – I, yeah, I don't know, in terms of like the fundamental um, things that might be going on in an individual kid's brain, like, is it all about experience or is there a piece of it that's deeper or, or more fundamental than that? You, I think you hit on really the key point is the individual. Mm-hmm. So um, we have not used that phrase nurture versus nature in a long time. That's okay, though, because what we know, it's the interplay between a child's individual 
makeup mm-hmm. and the experience that they the experiences that they have. And I'm not a scientist, and sure. so I can't exactly speak to all of the what we call epigenetics of the way in which genes are expressed. Mm-hmm. But the experiences that a young child has interplays or, or interacts with that child's makeup, that child's sensitivities, and I'm meaning on a biological level. Um, and the more we know about that, the more... I think, prominence we've given to um, both the understanding of gene expression and the experiences. Mm -hmm. And the part that we really can control are those experiences. So the more that we can do to build a child's resilience, that means their ability to bounce back after stressful events, the better off that child is going to be, the healthier that family is going to be, and the more productive of a, you know, community contributor that child will eventually be. Yeah. So zooming out from that individual, um, we found some data showing that parents are saying something like 15% of kids needed mental health care, and a lot of those aren't getting what they need. So are there things happening that you think are preventing people from seeking care in cases where they do think there's something going on that, that needs to be addressed? So let's put that in context. Sure. Um, those of us who look at that kind of data think that that's an under-report, mm-hmm. that there likely are even more children out there whose parents say, I need some support or I think my kid might need some counseling or something. Um, and for the listener, that's like three to four children in your kid's kindergarten classroom of 25. So it's a number of kids who whose parents say, I think my kid could use some some help. There's a few reasons why we think kids aren't getting the help they need. One is related to stigma. Mm -hmm. There still is this sense that mental health is somehow different than physical health. So even if parents feel like they could take their kid to a doctor if a kid has a cold or um, a bad scrape, um, they are still not feeling as encouraged um, in their communities or in their families to take that kid to a doctor or a specialist for mental health care. So that's one thing. Stigma still prevents children and families from getting the help they need. I also think that parents sometimes don't know that this is an area of specialty and that they could get help for this. They might think that their ki- they just have to suffer and the kid has to suffer until they grow out of it. And then thirdly is the reality that um, we don't have a sufficient workforce to address all the needs that are out there. So we have a growing group of people in Colorado who are, have the specialized training in early childhood mental health, the knowledge and skills they need to help parents and young children, but there's not enough. And in some communities, there's very few early childhood mental health providers. So I think it's all of those reasons. Yeah. So one reason we are talking is that CHI recently helped do an analysis of Colorado's early childhood mental health investments. What's happening and how does it line up with the actual needs that are out there? Um, So can you tell us a little bit about what we learned from that report? Like, where were there the greatest needs and what kinds of things is Colorado doing to, um, to address this? 
The report that CHI did is fantastic and um, really cutting edge because it's the first in the country to look at the early childhood mental health risk across a state, the reach of programs that are designed to address the risk, and what are the investments, um, both publicly funded investments, so state funds and federal funds, as well as private philanthropy dollars um, in this early childhood mental health arena. So it's really cutting edge, and it's something that CHI can be really proud of. Um, We learned a lot from that report, and one of the key issues is that we learned that the risk for early childhood mental health concerns really gravitates across what we would call like a southern swath of the state. Mm -hmm. And swath is kind of a big word, but it wasn't just, you know, one specific area, but it was really this wide band of areas almost across the the entire southern border. Yeah, so we're talking about pretty rural parts of the state. Some are rural, but we also had Adams County in that um, risk area. And the risk... Um, I'm sure that your listeners can go to the report on the CHI website. Yes, I'll put a link to that um, in the show's notes. Great. Um, But um, we looked at nine, or you looked at nine elements that are associated with risk Mm -hmm. because we don't yet have one data point that says, aha, this is what very young children need to have strong mental health and well-being. But we looked at what we call proxy measures. Um, So maternal depression, um, substantiated child abuse and neglect, a number of other things that are um, associated with mental health problems and concerns. And, um, you know, there are associations with um, where, as you said, the rural communities are. and uh, some of our deep pockets of poverty mm. in the state. Mm-hmm. And that's always something we want to um, pay attention to. What is the um, con- contribution of poverty to uh, mental health concerns and difficulties and a- people's ability to manage stress and to get the help that they need? A um, couple other findings from that report were that the um, – Across the system, the early childhood mental health system, if you were, um, less than 10% or an average of 10%, I think it was, of um, young children are getting any kind of early childhood mental health service. So that was of interest. You know, there's no national standard that says, aha, you know, 25% of your children in any community need to be receiving some level of mental health support. But we can pretty much be assured that it's more than 10%. Mm-hmm. And, like, what kind of that, – that means services through, um, through their school, through a counselor. Like, what are we talking about in terms of the, the system? The system. Yeah. It's a really good question. So an early childhood mental health system is the full spectrum of supports and services that might be needed at any one time – to make sure that kids get off to the best start possible and that any signs of problems are dealt with right away. Mm-hmm. And that there's stable funding, uh, stable funding sources to pay for that continuum of services. So that could be universal public awareness campaigns on how to support mental health from birth. 
It could then go up a sort of a continuum, if you think about it that way, to programs that give families a boost at any point. And then there might be services and supports when there are early signs of risk factors, Mm -hmm. when there are some things that are showing themselves, you know, to be problematic, but we're not quite sure yet what, what it means for that family. And then at the top of that continuum, or at the far end of that continuum, would be clinical treatment services. And that might be for a child who has a um, developmental disability in the social-emotional arena. That might be um, a child who's experienced trauma mm-hmm. and is really struggling and has a mental health diagnosis. So it really is that full continuum from universal practices to treatment and anything in between. And we think that only 10% or so of kids are touched by any of that right now? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's kind of this challenge, but we know that there is a lot happening in Colorado around early childhood mental health, and Colorado was actually like ahead of the game when you look around at states. So the fact that your position even exists is unusual. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about um, just what's happening in Colorado and how, how we compare to some other states in terms of investing in this? It's a good time to be in Colorado if you are interested and concerned about early childhood mental health, which we all should be. Colorado is considered one of the leaders across the country, which is not to say all of our work is done yet. Um, We certainly have great needs in the areas that I've touched on before, which is workforce development, figuring out how to pay for services, especially those services that are preventative in nature, um, and Um, really identifying early these difficulties. But that said, Colorado does have a lot going on. My position was created in the Office of Early Childhood about four and a half years ago, and it was one of the first, if not the first in the country, um, that has a position of leadership in state government whose sole focus is really to promote early childhood mental health across policies, practices, um, legislative rules, regulations. Yeah. And so are in the couple years that you have been here, like, are there big successes you'd point to that are like, hey, it helps to have someone in the state thinking about these issues? Like, are there things yes, that there's have lots, happened? Yeah, yeah, there's lots of things that we're proud of. Um, one that I can point to that um, listeners might actually interact with is that In 2016, the Office of Early Childhood was given spending authority to double the size of our early childhood mental health consultation workforce that's funded out of state government. And it's a combination of um, uh, state general funds and federal dollars. What those consultants do is they work with child care centers, preschools, and family child care homes, and they partner with the staff in child care centers. So, so the kinds of child care that all of us have used when mm-hmm. our young when our young children need care, so that we can go to work or school, and they work with those teachers to think about how to promote social emotional development, how to um, identify children who might be struggling and need extra support, and how to make sure that if there are children who need those clinical treatment services, that there's a connection made to a mental health provider. And so 
we doubled the size of the program from 17 to 34 full-time mental health consultants across Colorado. And that is one of the largest workforces um, that has uh, across the country. There are a number of other states now who are getting into um, supporting mental health consultation because it's a very effective prevention and early identification program. So I know when you're talking about workforce, when we look at preschools and we look at kind of the places where young kids are, it's not as consistent as like, you know, a 13-year-old is, some will be homeschooled, but most of them are kind of in school. Uh, a toddler or a child could be in any kind of um, any kind of educational system. Honestly, they could be at home. They could be at an in-home daycare. They could be at a really, you know, a, a preschool. It, it, does that kind of lack of um, consistency present challenges for doing this work? It certainly does uh, present some challenges of how to connect with those uh, care environments that need us most yeah. and how to make sure that parents who are using that mixed delivery system is how we refer to it here in the office. And that goes from anything as you described, from um, a parent at home, mm-hmm. um, a nanny or nanny share, um, a warm, loving woman down the street, uh, usually a woman, um, in informal care, so we call that family friend and neighbor care, to um, licensed child care, to school-based preschool. You're right. Yeah. There's a whole range. And, um, of course, and I may have mentioned this, many children are at home um, with their parent if they're in a position where that parent does not have to go out to work. So um, we want to develop a system that is accessible for all of those children. What I will say is that while children are not necessarily in um, some kind of formal care, most if not all children at some point in their young lives um, engage with the medical system. And so um, there are early childhood mental health consultants in primary and pediatric care, Not, not in every practice, but in many practices, because we recognize that parents and caregivers consider their primary care provider as a trusted provider, and they go to that person regularly when a child is very young, so there's a lot of touch points with that family, and that's a trusted provider to help out if there are difficulties. And so I would encourage parents to think about talking to their medical provider if they do have concerns about their child's relationships, development, or behavior. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I wanted to dig a little bit into something that you mentioned earlier, how sometimes um, you're noticing a lot of this need in areas where poverty is common. Even outside of early childhood, we know there's a connection between income and mental health. Um, And so, yeah, in your work, are there things that you're doing to make sure that that there's access to this kind of service for people who might not have high incomes or people who it might be a struggle to afford services. This is a subject where I think we need to proceed cautiously um, so that we are not implying um, that 
poor people, um, that there's something inherent in that mm. individual mm -hmm. that's causing these problems. And I, I don't think you were saying that, but um, I know that sometimes um, these associations are made and there's unintended consequences of um, the discussion. Yeah. So while um, there are barriers that um, are created by um, challenges to income, and I'll give an example in a minute, um, we also want to think that there are strengths in families and individuals that we want to elevate, that we want to promote and, and help tap into um, things that, that may actually um, uh, mitigate these difficulties, whether it's depression or um, uh, early childhood mental health concerns, trauma, those sorts of things. So, so with those caveats and that caution, um, there, there are difficulties when people, for example, um, you were talking earlier about the um, problem of getting young children to the treatment they need. Right. Well, if you um, don't have a working vehicle and don't have the means to fix a car, you might not be able to get your child to um, services that are generally held during regular business hours, you know, eight to five. Or if you have a job that you can't leave and you don't have um, uh, the ability to take your child, drive across town, pick your kid up from childcare, take that child to a therapy appointment and get back to work because you don't have a job that's well-paying enough that affords you that flexibility, that's going to create a barrier in and of itself. So I, we want to think about what those kinds of barriers are um, that may be compounding um, poverty itself. Yeah, no, that's a really important distinction, I think, and like those concrete examples, um, I think, can help point to like what some of the things that might be driving those um, differences might be. And it's one of the reasons why we really love our Early Childhood Mental Health Consultation Program mm -hmm. in Colorado, because those tr highly trained and qualified mental health professionals are out at child care centers. And they can meet parents either at their home or job. Um, they can meet with a parent when that parent comes to pick up the child. Yeah. So it doesn't create additional barriers or stress to that parent getting the support they need. Yeah. Um, and then and another thing I wanted to ask you about that's not directly tied to that is something that I know came up at the legislature a couple years ago, and it was this idea of um, suspensions and expulsions for kids who are in this early childhood time that we're talking about. Um, so the idea of suspending a three or four year old might sound crazy, but it happens. Absolutely, um, it does happen. And it happens in all kinds of different settings too. Um, and so there was a bill that was considering maybe prohibiting, um, I think it was prohibiting suspensions and expulsions altogether, is that right? Um, there was some language around that, but okay. yes, that it was in um, publicly funded um, uh, pre-K through 12th grade. There were some rules around that and they wanted to, um, reduce the likelihood of expulsions or suspensions in the K through three time period. Yeah. Uh, and it did not wind up passing. It didn't pass. Um, do you expect to see something like that come up again? Is that an issue that you're paying attention to um, or that you kind of feel like this world of early childhood mental health can inform um, the conversation around? 
certainly inform the conversation around um, and can actually help reduce the likelihood of suspensions and expulsions when teachers, child care providers, administrators have access to a trained mental health professional to help sort through what the meaning of children's behavior is. Because there um, certainly may be challenging behaviors that suspensions and expulsions are deployed to address, right? So if a child is very aggressive in school or a teacher is worried that other children are getting hurt, these are real concerns. Suspending and expelling, though, is not a solution to those problems. It doesn't, it's an adult decision. It's not addressing the child's behavior. And so, or or really understanding why that Mm -hmm. child is persistent in that behavior. So I don't know if there will be um, bills this session introduced to reduce that. It is something that we pay attention to a lot, especially because there seems to be trends that it's boys and boys of color that are disproportionately suspended and expelled. And those that has long term ramifications for children who may be in most need of a high quality learning environment. And so we really want to understand the nature of that disproportionality. Mm -hmm. So um, children, boys of color are being expelled at rates greater than they're enrolled in those programs. And so we need to figure out what's going on and whether or not there is some um, implicit or unconscious bias at play or what other factors are contributing to um, those suspensions and to find alternatives that make sense for teachers and programs at the same time supporting the needs of those very young children and families. Yeah, and I'm glad you you brought that up. I think it's an important issue. And are there any are there any things that are happening around addressing that potential for bias or trying to understand that disproportionality that that you're aware of? Like are people looking into what's going on with that? There's a lot of attention um, locally, and what I mean by that is in Colorado sure. and in local communities, to address this and to understand um, more deeply how it is that those things are at play. Yeah. We have some training courses. We talk about um, these issues of equity and um, bias in most of the early childhood um, training cor- early childhood mental health training courses, and we want our providers to be thinking about this. We want to h- engage in these conversations with teachers, yeah. um, not in a blaming way, but in a in a um, dialogue to get at some of the roots. We all have bias. That's the thing, yeah. and how it plays out is what's um, important here. Yeah. Um, so that's just one example of a policy thing that ties to early childhood mental health, but um, if you could wave a magic wand and um, communicate something about early childhood mental health to Colorado's policymakers, what's what's something you wish that they knew and understood about about this this time of life and this world? Prevention works. It's difficult to pay for it. It's a little elusive to quantify, but it works. Yeah. We know that it works. We know that that instilling resilience at a very young age in terms of 
coping skills, managing stress, managing that regulation is going to pay off in huge dividends later in school success, employment success, contributing to society, whatever the, the um, lever point is for you, we can make happen through early childhood mental health investments. So um, my magic wand <laughs> would say, let's invest heavily in those preventative and early identification policies and practices that support the relationship between caregivers and very young children. And many of the um, deep end expensive uh, programs that you need to invest in later, like re-education, like juvenile justice, and other kinds of um, incarceration, those costs will be remedied and lowered as a um, converse investment in early childhood uh, activities. Yeah. Um, and so that's your policymaker uh, point. Are there things that you wish just the general public knew um, knew about this issue that you feel like kind of gets lost or maybe there are misconceptions about? Sure. I would say um, relationships matter. Your relationship, I'm speaking to the parents and caregivers right yeah. now, your relationships matter so much. It's so important to build and foster um, this healthy, mutual, joyful relationship that you have with a young child. It helps their brain and their body develop strong and um, when you notice difficulties, ask for help. Ask your health care provider. Ask somebody at your child's child care program. There's help available when things seem a little confusing or puzzling. It's okay to ask for help, and the earlier you do, the easier it's going to be to get back on track. Yeah. And my last question in that genre is, you talked about health care providers. Do you feel like they know, um, you know, are there things that you wish that they knew about? mental health for very young children. Absolutely. I think that that more and more healthcare providers are being exposed to this idea that, you know, the brain is developing super early and that these relationships with families matter and that families are dealing with a lot of stress that's impacting their ability to be the best parent that they can. Mm -hmm. And and providers are medical providers, healthcare providers are that trusted resource for families. I don't think that all healthcare providers recognize their ability to, to facilitate getting help for families. Mm. So they may not have the time or the knowledge themselves to get that referral for their parent, but if they partner well with an early childhood mental health consultant, specialist, um, child development specialist, that individual can help that family navigate to what they need, and their families are going to be healthier in the long run. Yeah. Um, so this world really uh, seems to touch on so many things. We're talking about families. We're talking about schools. We're talking about this brain science. And then the policy component. There's just a lot to it. So just in your couple years here, um, you know, are there things that um, I don't know that you've learned or things that have kind of changed in your understanding about this that stick out to you? It's a fascinating world to be in because um, the science is really catching up with and helping inform us about things that um, 
are going to help us continue to develop um, solid, really smart strategies, policies, practices. What I would say the cutting edge is Mm -hmm. for me, and I think for a lot of people, is this idea of the science of resilience. Mm -hmm. So we know a little bit more now about the effects of negative experiences, of hard experiences and trauma on the brain. And we know that um, what that does to the physiology of a young child as he, he or she is developing. But what's really interesting is to try to figure out and um, distill what is the science of resilience because there certainly are groups of um, adults now who were young people at one point who experienced a lot of adversity in their lives and very, very difficult um, experiences, traumatic experiences. And yet they grow up to um, do well in school to have meaningful work, to have meaningful relationships, and to then parent well themselves. So what is it that protected that individual or that group of individuals um, to enable them to do so well and to thrive and to be able to pass on resilience to their children? So I'm super fascinated about that science of resiliency, and I think that once we begin to understand, we then can kind of package that up and bring that out universally. Yeah. Um, well, Jordana, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really great to talk to you. It was wonderful to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Jordana, for joining us. She's the Early Childhood Mental Health Director in Colorado's Department of Human Services. You can read the paper she mentioned on our website, coloradohealthinstitute.org. You can find more episodes of The Checkup at coloradohealthinstitute.org slash podcast. We're also on the iTunes Store, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. Uh, In the meantime, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cohealthinst and follow us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. I'm Jackie Zabricki at CHI. Mm -hmm.